We are in John chapter 14. We have a few short verses this morning. As you look in your Bible, we're in verses 15 to 18. But really, our focus is on verses 16 and 17. We're going to continue following Jesus together as Jesus speaks to us about the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes this morning, the subtitle of the message is, Who is the Holy Spirit? And maybe you can tell from the title, this message is not focused on what you should do. This message is focused on who God is. And so the takeaways leaving this morning, Lord willing, is that you'd have a greater understanding and greater appreciation of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Let me go ahead and read verses 15 through 18, and then I'll pray and we'll jump into the message. Jesus is speaking. He's in the middle of speaking, and he says to the apostles, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Well, this is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, through Jesus and his word this morning, you are introducing us to the mysterious, often neglected, greatly misunderstood person of the Trinity the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you, by your Spirit, would grant each of us understanding according to your word, that you would illuminate your word by your Spirit so that we would understand and embrace and enjoy everything that your word says about him this morning. Pray that your Spirit would work to convict those who don't know you of sin, of Christ's righteousness, and the upcoming judgment, and for all of us, that the Spirit would be our helper this morning and more. To that end, Lord, would you let the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, all of God's people said, amen. Well, you know a new believer, and you sit down and you're discussing the things of the Lord together, talking about the Bible. And, and this new believer asks you, with a perplexed look on their face, furrowed brow, who or what is the Holy Spirit really? How would you answer that question? Beyond just the soundbite or two, beyond just a few tweets of responses, if they asked you, what is the what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What's the role of the Holy Spirit? How might you answer that? A key subject across John 13 through 17, as you just scroll through and look at the pages, a key subject in this farewell discourse is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You may recall it's the final night of Jesus' life, this side of the cross, an empty tomb, he is teaching his apostles and he's encouraging them with 
with hope. To undo their discouraged and troubled hearts because, especially because, Jesus has announced that he's going to no longer be with them in person. Just pause on that for a moment and think about that. What greater thing could you possibly imagine than having Jesus himself with you physically looking you in your face to face? And now he says to the apostles, well, later he'll say, it's good that I go. It's good that he goes. So they're, they're discouraged, they're troubled. And like the disciples, we can have the same perspective as them. We also need ongoing hope. We also need ongoing encouragement to faithfully follow Jesus, especially when he's not physically present with us. But Jesus, like the disciples, is going to tell us that our hope and encouragement is grounded in the ministry of the Holy Spirit right now. Now, they didn't understand the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and frankly, Many of us don't either. You have heard me say a number of times that the doctrine of the church is one of the most neglected and least understood doctrines of the last few hundred years. The same could be said for the Holy Spirit. And in the last hundred years, there has been a rise in attention of the Holy Spirit, especially in the charismatic movement. But I'm going to argue this morning that has not served our understanding of the Holy Spirit well. So, Jesus' explanation and promise of the Holy Spirit from our text is designed. These words 2,000 years ago are designed today to give you and me hope and encouragement as Jesus' Spirit-indwelt disciples. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. I want to invite you to ask this question of yourself this morning. You've walked in these doors, and I want you to ask yourself, where do you deep down truly, deep down in your bones, find hope and strength to make your way in this world? Maybe you need to write it down, because I want to invite you to take what you've just thought and compare that with the words of Christ by the end of the message this morning. And for those of us who do follow Jesus, the question stands before us, Well, okay, Jesus, how how does your teaching on the Holy Spirit in verses 16 and 17 in particular, how does that provide clarity and encouragement for us today, even though you're not physically with us? So our text this morning will show us three ways Jesus gives us clarity and encouragement in the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, here are those three ways. Number one, the Holy Spirit is your paraclete. So you must understand who he is. And for that, we're actually going to jump into the Old Testament and spend some time there to get a running start to point number two. The Holy Spirit is your paraclete, so you must be encouraged by his ongoing ministry. And number three, the Holy Spirit is your paraclete, so you must cherish his indwelling presence. Now, you've heard me say three times the word paraclete. Not parakeet. It's paraclete. And I'll just say at this point, I want you to build suspense to the midpoint of the sermon when we'll answer the question, 
what in the world does that actually mean by saying three times the Holy Spirit is your paraclete? So hold on, we'll get there and you'll see. Well, let's jump in. Point number one, the Holy Spirit is your paraclete. So you must understand who he is. If you would, turn to the first chapter of your Bible. Please join me in Genesis chapter one. Now, while you're turning there, let me say this. I said a few moments ago. In many ways, the, the Holy Spirit may be the most mysterious and misunderstood person in the Bible, especially as the third person of the Trinity. So before we drop into Jesus' words in the next two points, we need to skip across, get a running start and skip across the Old Testament very briefly for context of why Jesus is saying what Jesus is saying in John 14. Because what he says in John 14, the entire backdrop is the entire Old Testament up to that point. So let's begin at the beginning. We must understand who the Holy Spirit is. So who is he? Well, Genesis 1, beginning verses 1 and 2. Listen to the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And, and here it is. Maybe you haven't memorized. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here in these opening sentences of the Bible, we are introduced to the mystery of God. And the reason I say mystery of God is if Because if we were able to read Hebrew, you would know, we would discover that when it says in the beginning, God, the word for God there is in the plural. It's Elohim. But then the next word in your Bible where it says created, it's in the singular. So that confusion creates this strange construction where the rest of Scripture makes clear that God is one and yet plural. Not many gods, not multiple gods, only one true God. And yet, the end of verse 2 tells us the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we don't realize it yet on the first page of the Bible. But as the Bible unfolds, we will begin to realize that we are being introduced in verse 2 of Genesis 1 to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And his work in creation. And I want you to pay attention to what I just said. I said his work in creation. You didn't hear me say its work in creation. You heard me say his work in creation. The reason is because the Holy Spirit is God. And he is the third member of the Trinity. He is a person And therefore, personal. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force like gravity. So, never, ever, 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 ever refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He is a he. And how can I say that? He's a he? Well, if you have a finger back in John 14 and turn back there, you'll see in verse 17 what Jesus says. Jesus says to the apostles that the world neither sees, does your Bible say it? No, it doesn't. What does Jesus say? 
The world neither sees him nor knows him. So the Holy Spirit is a person. And since the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Trinity, and he's personal, you can, for example, grieve him. So Ephesians 4.30 tells us we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Or, happily, in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, we can actually have the joy of the Holy Spirit. Meaning the Holy Spirit has joy that he gives to the believer and more. He is personal. So he is not a force in Genesis chapter 1 who created things. He is a person and he is personal. But we are thinking about the Holy Spirit's role in the Old Testament era up to the upper room moment with Jesus. Why does Jesus say what Jesus says, especially in verses 16 and 17? So let me just give you a hyper flyby of the Old Testament. Not just creation, but we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament for very specific tasks. And we see the Holy Spirit very irregularly. In other words, not very often. So what do I mean by saying that we see the Holy Spirit for very specific tasks? Here's an example. Exodus 31. God has told Moses to build a tent. And in Exodus 31, here's what Scripture says. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have, no, note this. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahi Samach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to you all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you. So, an explicit reference to God sending his spirit for the specific task of equipping these men to be craftsmen to build the tent. Not just construct it and design and build, but to actually artistically make it beautiful. But more often in the Old Testament, we see that the activity of the Holy Spirit is primarily focused on the leaders of Israel. So if you read through the book of Judges, you will see that every judge begins to judge the people of Israel when the Spirit of God comes upon him and he judges Israel. We see that with priests, we see it with prophets, and we see it with kings. The judges of Israel, the priests of Israel, the prophets of Israel, and the kings of Israel, they were all described as having the Spirit come upon them to empower them for the task that God, or the office and task that God put them in. The king could king because he had the Holy Spirit. Same with the prophets, priests, and the judges. And the Messiah. You read across the prophets, and we discover that God is going to send the Christ, or the Messiah, and he will be the anointed one, which is Bible talk for full of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Messiah. 
But the frequent description when you read in the Old Testament of these various tasks and offices was this language. The Holy Spirit came upon. Kind of like putting on a cloak. It's sort of the imagery that's given in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon a person for the ministry, but when the ministry was over, or if the person sinned, God removed his Holy Spirit. Maybe you remember the story of old King Saul when he was the first king of Israel and when he sinned. What did God do with the Holy Spirit? God removed the Holy Spirit from Saul, and then God put the Holy Spirit on new King David. So the picture the Bible paints in our minds is the Holy Spirit leaving Saul and going on to David, coming upon them as the Hebrew language, like a cloak around them. And this is why, if you've ever read Psalm 51, that amazing and beautiful high psalm in the Bible describing what true biblical repentance looks like, King David wrote that after he sinned with Bathsheba, And one of David's prayers in Psalm 51 is for God not to take his spirit from him. So the spirit is in creation. He participates in creation. The spirit is personal. But the main focus of the spirit in the Old Testament, all the way up to this moment where Jesus is sitting there with the apostles, the ministry of the spirit is limited and selective The Spirit's ministry comes and goes, and he's a mystery. And this reminds of something that Moses said. Old Moses said way back in Numbers 11. There was this moment, uh, Moses was uh, judging the people of Israel, adjudicating between different problems they were having, and he couldn't bear the load and responsibility. And so God said that he would take part of the Spirit he put on Moses and put it on the 70 elders of of Israel. And so when the Spirit came upon the 70 elders of Israel, they were empowered to the task. And those loyal to Moses got upset because they only wanted Moses to have the Spirit. And so they ran up to Moses and said, hey, these other guys, they're judging and they're prophesying and the, the Spirit's evidently upon them. And they were basically asking Moses, Moses, pray for God to take the Spirit off those guys. And this is important. In Numbers eleven twenty nine, this is what Moses says. Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. The desire of Moses is the desire that courses through the veins of the Old Testament. That all of God's people, not just some of God's people, not just the leaders of God's people, but that all of God's people would have the power, empowered ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not just judges, not just prophets, priests, or kings, but all of them would. And so as you read through the Bible then, we see this promise of the Holy Spirit begin to develop in the prophets. For example... Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel say that a Messiah is going to come, the Christ. He will be spirit-empowered, 
And he will bring in the new everlasting covenant of peace. He will rescue God's people from God's judgment. He will restore God's people to God and more. And part of the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36 in verses 25 to 27 is this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, the Lord says. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. From all of your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, lowercase s, meaning new creation language. A new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And verse 27 of Ezekiel 36 says, And I will put my Holy Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You may recall that this is what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. More can be said, but let me summarize this. We're asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit? This first point is entitled, the Holy Spirit is your paraclete, whatever that means. So you must understand who he is. And you must understand who he is in the Old Testament to understand how mysterious and magnificent Jesus' words here are in John 14. The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's active in creation. He is personal. But we see that His chief role in the Old Testament was very selective, seems small, was temporary, would come upon someone like a cloak and then leave them if they sinned or their ministry was done. So it was temporary ministry. David had to pray, Lord, please don't take your Spirit from me. And the expectation... All across the Old Testament is that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah will somehow, we're not sure how in the Old Testament, the Messiah will somehow do something so that all of God's people now have the Holy Spirit like priests, prophets, kings, and judges. And that then, dear friends, sets us up for point number two. Point number two The Holy Spirit is your paraclete, so you must be encouraged by his ongoing ministry. Now we're going to jump in. We just looked at the forest real fast. Now we're jumping in, taking out the magnifying glass, and we'll look at the bark on the trees. The Holy Spirit is your paraclete. You must be encouraged by his ongoing ministry. Back in John 14, verses 15, 16, and the beginning of 17. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Now we need to take this clause by clause, phrase by phrase. What is Jesus saying In these simple yet profound words. First, we need to notice the condition that Jesus establishes for the gift of the Spirit. Do you see it in verse 15? If, then, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. 
end I will ask. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask. In the Gospel of John, the chief commandment is to believe in Jesus as the Christ. God the Son incarnate. From which flows all the other commandments. Let me say that again. When you read the Gospel of John, the chief first foremost commandment we're called to obey is simply to believe. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. So in the Gospel of John, we believe in Jesus and then obeying Jesus follows. In the Gospels, belief always comes before behavior. In other words, we're saved by faith, not works, for good works. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because if you read this, you might misunderstand what Jesus says to mean that you have to keep his commandments in order to be worthy to receive the Holy Spirit. You could misunderstand him that way. He's talking about belief for salvation and belief always reveals itself in behavior. And those who believe get the spirit. But you can misunderstand this to say, okay, if I, if I love him and then I keep his commandments, then he'll send me the Spirit. But if we go back to John chapter 3, we know that no one can enter the kingdom of God, let alone see the kingdom of God, unless he's first born again by the Spirit. So the emphasis here is not your works to get the Spirit. Jesus worked for you so the Father could give the Spirit by faith. So don't misunderstand that you have to do something to earn the Spirit. The Spirit is a gift of salvation. And you could also misunderstand Jesus' words in an even, perhaps, well, they're both troubling. But another way that you could misunderstand Jesus' words is to think that, you know, today I'm doing a pretty good job loving Jesus. I've checked more boxes of obedience than disobedience that I'm aware of. And so I, I have, I'm loving him, so I'm keeping his commandments that I'm aware of. So I have the spirit. But then you could wrongly think that oh, today I'm, I'm doing a bad job of loving Jesus. I feel kind of lukewarm towards him. And I'm doing far better at breaking his commandments and not loving him than loving him. So you could misunderstand Jesus to think that this is conditional. That when you're doing good to love Jesus, you have the spirit And when you're doing bad, he takes his spirit away from you. Now, I think many Christians, with not knowing the ministry of the spirit well, we can tend to think that's how God operates in our our life. So then we pray something like Psalm 51. Lord, like David, please don't take your spirit from me. But we can misunderstand the Bible that way. Because what does Jesus say in the end of verse 16? Another helper to be with you, how long? Do you see that word? Do you see in your Bible, with you forever? With you forever, unlike God in the Old Testament, removing his spirit when the task was done, or removing his spirit when someone sinned, the promise of the new covenant of Jesus is that you, as a Christian, can never pray that part of Psalm 51. 
It is wrong for a Christian to pray, Lord, please don't take your spirit from me. Why? Because he has already promised he never will. He never will. So you must be encouraged by his ongoing ministry. We be, the gift of salvation is giving us the spirit. And then we have love for Jesus. And the ministry of the spirit is not dependent upon how good your love meter is going on a particular day. He will be with you forever. Praise God. So I want you to see that Jesus, when he says be with you forever, it's literally, it's, it's into the ages. It's, it's, it's a very big idea of eternity. Into the ages. So I want you to see that Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit, one, is not for unbelievers. If you love me, belief, keep my commandments. So only Christians in the new covenant have the Spirit. And I want you to see that the gift of the Spirit is eternal. And it's not just the gift of the Spirit. He is not just for this age. And then when we go into glory on the new heaven and new earth with new glorified bodies, then the Spirit leaves us? No. How long is forever? It's that long. It's forever. It's into the ages. So, so the gift of the new covenant of what Jesus does in his cross work for us is to gift us with the Holy Spirit forever to a world without end. Now, now listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I need to make something plain for you based on this teaching here of Jesus. You can never make yourself acceptable to God. And you can never muster up love for God on your own accord. You must have his spirit to do that. You need to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus' birth and his life. His sinless life, his death for our sins, his resurrection for eternal life. Friend, believe in Jesus and get acceptance with God through the blood of Christ. And receive the gift and ministry of the Holy Spirit to live with God's now power forever. And my brothers and sisters, you may have been living thinking that the Holy Spirit is an it. And therefore you don't relate to him. You you may have been living under this fear. This this low-grade fear that is lurking in your soul that God is mostly displeased with you. He doesn't like you very much and therefore takes his spirit from you. Please receive and believe the word of Christ. He has prayed to the Father and the Father has gifted you with the spirit to world without end. For your encouragement, comfort, and hope. Jesus is here to correct our theology. Jesus is here to comfort us with right theology of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit himself loves us as the third person of the Trinity. As with Christ, so with the Spirit. The Spirit will never leave you or forsake you. And we need to be amazed in verse 16. Another of the many in the Gospel of John Trinitarian verses. I will ask the Father, Jesus says... He will give you another helper to be with you forever, 
even the spirit of truth. So here is God the Son promising to ask God the Father to give gift the to gift God the Spirit to God's people. And with these words Jesus is promising these simple verses in 16 and 17 Jesus is it's a hyperlink text to all the prophets in the Old Testament of all the promises of the Christ and the Spirit there. He is promising to fulfill all the hope and expectation of the apostles and us. So the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, not an it. The Spirit is a gift from the Father only for those who believe. And the promise is that the Spirit will be with us forever. But the question still remains, who is he and what does he do? Because that all sounds beautiful, because it is. It all sounds amazing, because it's true. But who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Notice again, the end of verse 16 into the beginning of verse 17. He says, to give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth the the, another helper is the spirit of truth there's a beautiful connection with jesus where just a moment ago he said in verse six that he's the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through him but we need to dive deep into each of these words especially another helper and here's where what paraclete means is about to come that word another is very important it may be that you've never considered the word another very important in your life today the word another is one of the most important words in your life isn't that exciting this is a sermon about the word another another is extremely important in the greek their language is bigger. It's a size 14 foot, a 14 foot shoe, inch shoe, versus our language, which is a size 9 shoe. In other words, Greek has two words for another. There is another of a different kind, and there is another of the same kind. So when Jesus says another helper... Jesus is saying another of the same kind. And it's just lost in English because we just we don't have we don't have that word. You have to turn it into a, a bigger sentence. Another of the same kind. So this is what Jesus says of the Spirit here. The Spirit is another helper of the same kind. Great. Same kind of what? Thank you for asking. That's the word helper. The Holy Spirit is another of the same kind of Jesus. What does that mean? Uh, We've already seen the Spirit is not Jesus and Jesus is not the Spirit. But Jesus is indicating that the Spirit will be the same kind of helper as Jesus was and is our helper. The Holy Spirit 
is another of the same kind of helper as Jesus was our helper. Pause. Let's not forget the context. The disciples are troubled. They have just received, confused, but they've received the worst news they could possibly hear. Jesus said, I am leaving you. It's just beginning to dawn on them that Jesus is God, the Son incarnate, and then they're just beginning to get it. He's raised Lazarus from the dead recently. The Messiah is here. We can touch him. He just washed our feet. And he says, and I'm going to leave you. That's the exact opposite of what you would want to hear from Jesus' lips. And so he is comforting and giving them by saying, and he'll tell us later, it's the strangest words. He's going to say later, it's good that I go. Now, I mean, that sounds like it'd be the worst that you go. We want Jesus. We want to see him. We want to hug him. We want to be able to talk with him face to face. And Jesus says here that he is going to pray and the father will send another helper who is a helper in the same way that Jesus is our helper. And so now we need to get to Greek again. Take a guess what the Greek word is behind that word helper. Paraclete. Not parakeet, paraclete. So the reason that this sermon is built in those three points where the Holy Spirit is your paraclete, here's why I'm saying that. It is a very, very difficult word in the Greek to bring into English. There is no English word that gives a one-for-one correspondence. So you could go and you could pull out a bunch of different English versions, open them all up, Some versions say counselor. I will give you another counselor. Some say comforter. Some say friend. Some say advocate. And some just keep the word paraclete right there in John 14. Because all of those words, on the one hand, could be misunderstood. Like counselor today is like a therapist who's simply there to agree with most of your emotions, that's not what the the Holy Spirit is. The idea of counselor is more along the lines of teacher and corrector. Or comforter. He is our comforter. He does console us. That is absolutely true, but he also corrects us if we're wrong in our discomforts. Certainly, friend is a helpful translation, thinking about how Friends stick closer than a brother, Proverbs tells us, and friends never leave us. Advocate carries the legal idea, because there's a legal idea with paraclete, is the person who can stand next to as a friend, but legally represent, and more. Paraclete. That is what Jesus was for us, counselor, comforter, friend, and advocate, and helper, as is also the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your paraclete. So how do we understand what it means that Jesus and the Spirit are both together our paraclete? Because we're actually getting a new title for Christ as well. Another of the same kind of paraclete as Jesus. I want to read to you a long quote. This long quote comes from one of the commentaries I worked through that I think is 
is beautiful and very helpful. It's going to be two slides on the screen that you can take a picture of if you would like to have this with you. One commentator sums it up best saying it this way. The title paraclete expresses the intimate presence of God with his people. A presence that formally began with the incarnation and will carry on into the new creation. That's the forever piece. For this reason, the title paraclete refers to the ministerial office of the Trinitarian God for his people. Occupied by both the Son of God and the Spirit of God. First Jesus and now the Spirit. They witness to God the Father, speak on behalf of God the Father, console, guide, and teach the way of God. And are the work of God. This is why paraclete cannot be translated into any one word or concept in English. For paraclete is the title of an office of God. The one from which he ministers to his people he loves. It is a term that guarantees that God is present. And that nothing, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what paraclete means. Think about that. Jesus is your paraclete, and so is the Spirit. And it was good that Jesus would leave so that he would pray to the Father and the Father would send the Holy Ghost. You see, Jesus was our helper, our paraclete, in securing our salvation through life, death, and resurrection. And the Spirit is our paraclete by applying Jesus' salvation for us and our new life in Christ. Not only, and this is amazing to me, Not only did God become incarnate to be with us face to face, looking in the eyes of Jesus, but then he sent his spirit not just to uh, see us face to face as it were, but that the spirit would be in us and through us. The, The Holy Spirit is your paraclete, so you must not only be encouraged by his ongoing ministry, but you must also cherish his indwelling presence which leads to our third and final point. The Holy Spirit is your paraclete. You must cherish his indwelling presence. Verse 17 to verse 18. Jesus is saying, Whom the world, the Spirit, cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. The world cannot receive the Spirit because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But the disciples know Him, and we do too. But notice how verse 17 ends. Again, out come the magnifying glasses. Notice the tense 
and location of Jesus' words. For he dwells with you, that was present tense, and will be in you, future tense. Present and future. So you have two tenses relative to what Jesus is saying relative to the cross and resurrection. It's the upper room. Technically, it's still the Old Testament coming to a close. He hasn't gone to the cross and died for our sins. He hasn't risen from the grave. So when he's looking at the apostles, he's saying the Spirit is with you right now, but he will be in you in the future. So he dwells with you and then will be in you. What's the point? The point is, at this moment in John 14, a salvation historical shift is taking place with the ministry of the paraclete. Remember the Old Testament? Priests, prophets, and kings. Spirit coming upon them like a cloak and then being removed as the predominant way of speaking of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the New Covenant, the location if you could speak that way about the Spirit, who is omnipresent. The location of the Spirit, Jesus says, is changing to not just with, kind of on the outside, alongside, but in. Something is happening in Jesus' new covenant because he died and rose and ascended to heaven. Something is happening that changes with the Spirit's ministry in the new covenant for the Christian. The Holy Spirit now, Because he indwells the Christian, now relates to believers in the new covenant in ways that he did not relate to Old Testament saints, even Adam and Eve, before the fall. We have something Adam didn't have, Moses didn't have, David didn't have. The forever indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you can think back in your mind to the first point in that quick flyover of the Old Testament, I read to you from Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, the promise of the new covenant is that God would take out your heart of stone and give you a new spirit and then put His Holy Spirit in you to cause you to walk in all His ways. We have something, this side of the cross and empty tomb, that all the Old Testament saints looked forward to, and that is God himself, the paraclete, now in us forever, indwelling the church. That's why it was good for Jesus to go. So that both Jesus would be the paraclete seen face to face when we see him in glory, but that now the ministry of Jesus that you read of in the Gospels is the same ongoing ministry in us through the Holy Spirit. And this is the amazing connection of the verse 18 when he says, I will not leave you orphans because Jesus asked the father to give us another helper, the spirit, while we also wait for Jesus to come back. The spirit is not just. So listen to this. Here's the point. The spirit is not just with us forever. The spirit is in us forever. The longing and hope of the Holy Spirit that we have the spirit, we have new life in Christ now, we can fight against sin in our own life 
in ways that Old Testament saints never could. We have, because of the Spirit's ministry in our lives, and through His activity, to become more like Christ, more growth and godliness than Old Testament saints ever could. Because of the nature of the Spirit's ministry. Friends, the gospel tells us that you are not an orphan. You have been adopted as children of the Father by the blood of Christ and the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. And here is where our hearts need help. I said at the beginning, and to remind us, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in the last hundred years has been overrun with bad, sensational theology. And it has, this bad theology has greatly reduced and minimized our understanding of who He is and what He does. Many Christians, especially in the charismatic movement, treat the Holy Spirit as if His main purpose is to manifest sensational miracles, that He's a a miracle machine, where the main focus is, is the Holy Spirit Himself, and the main focus is strange and bizarre activities... The other thing is that the Holy Spirit's role is to baptize our feelings and impressions, as this wrongly thought. God told me. God told me. That language ought not to be used by Christians unless you're quoting Scripture. Because when we say God told me, we're turning ourselves into subjective, fallible prophets, which there's no such thing. And we baptize our feelings. And I've had... So I got saved in the charismatic movement. And was in it for almost a decade. So as an insider and relating to others... And here's my assumption. That at the pew level, everybody loves Jesus. And everybody is wanting to follow Jesus and obey Jesus. And it's the bad teaching that muddies who the Spirit is. When we say, God told me... What happens is if you say something wrong or something that doesn't come true, I can't argue with you because you're channeling the voice of God through you. So saying God told me is, is, is carelessness. I also was taught in this movement, for example, that, for example, the fact that I spent a very long time studying for this sermon and then writing it out and manuscripting it, that I am now quenching the Spirit... Because I'm preaching off a manuscript rather than a fresh move of the Spirit. Friends, if you want a fresh move of the Spirit, read 2,000-year-old words. Okay? The Spirit is just at work in the preparation of a sermon as He is in the delivery sermon, as He is in the application of a sermon. He is never not working. And one of the dangers of baptizing feelings and impressions and saying that, yeah, your inner monologue is always the Spirit's voice. And now... What you feel is the Spirit's voice is what that the effect of that is to move Christians away from what the Bible says into strange and bizarre visions and numerology and things along those lines. 
That is not how the Spirit works in prophets in the Old Testament or New Testament. And what happens is then because this argument and tension takes place of who the Spirit is, and let me just add this, I've known dear believers who live questioning their salvation because everyone around them is saying, God told me this, God told me that. And they don't hear God talking to them because they don't think their inner inner monologue is actually the voice of God. They think it's an inner monologue. And so they actually live with this, with a fear that maybe they're not saved because all of these um, people who really genuinely love Jesus but are confused keep saying that. Friend, be free from any idea. Let's cast out that demon of thinking that you're not saved because you don't hear God talking to you. If you want to be reminded that you're saved and hear God talk to you, read your Bible to yourself out loud. People are misled to think that the Holy Spirit's role is to put on weird magic shows in church services by making people do really weird things. Now, to be fair, I am not critiquing everything in the charismatic movement. And within the umbrella of the charismatic movement, there um, is a variety. There's an in-house um, debate. There's charismatics writing about the excesses of other ends of the charismatic movement. I'm, and I'm not even making commentary on the gifts of the Spirit and their activity. I'm making commentary on who the Holy Spirit is and how He works today primarily and mainly. So people are misled to think that if uh, these weird, strange things don't happen, that the Spirit is not there. Uh, I've heard people say it so many times in so many different places. For example, even with music. If the music is not exuberant, if the music is not drawing tears to the eyes, if the sermon was pretty stale or seemed too academic, the, the critique is the spirit is not there. That's blasphemy for two reasons. One, the spirit is omnipresent, so he is here. And two, I have just labored to show you for the last time that he is in us forever. A Christian cannot refer to other Christians who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and say the Spirit is not there. That is, that is at best, very careless and wrong language. And the reason I'm hammering this is because in chapters 15 and 16, when Jesus is going to talk more about the Holy Spirit, did you know, well, I'm going to tell you now, the role of the Holy Spirit, His purpose within the Trinity, and His purpose in ministry in the church is singular. To make much of Christ. That is his role. His role as the paraclete is to draw people to Jesus. To save people for Jesus. To cause people to be born again for Jesus. If people claim that the spirit is moving. And Christ is not being magnified. And his gospel is not being made clear. But it's more like a magic show. That is not the spirit of Christ. That's not, Christ, that's not the spirit of Christ's activity because Jesus tells us that he will take what is of Jesus's and make it known. We need also to never invite the Spirit's presence here. 
this is his place, the omnipresent one. And because the spirit indwells the church, which is his temple, whenever we gather, the spirit is here fully and finally. We don't need to sing him here. We don't need to invite his presence here. His presence never waxes or wanes. All of him is in all of you all of the time. If you're a believer. Why am I hammering this? Because I want the Holy Spirit from the Bible to be rightly understood. And not from mystical experiences and bad subjective teaching. Our understanding of who the Holy Spirit and what he does is derived exclusively from the Bible and not what people say or do. And we must acknowledge that Scripture seems to make clear that false signs and wonders will take place through deceitful spirits in the end times. So just because something takes place that is a miracle... But if the gospel of Jesus Christ is not being central and magnified, I question that that's not the spirit of Christ. That's why I'm hammering this. This kind of bad teaching crowds out the clear and quiet teaching of the Holy Spirit's ongoing ministry in your life right now. Because of the debates of charismatic movement, the, the, the ongoing, clear and quiet ministry of the Holy Spirit is sidelined and forgotten because we're distracted arguing about excesses of charismania as a book that one charismatic wrote about the excess of the charismatic movement. So please listen to this. The Holy Spirit's presence is not determined by how you feel. The Holy Spirit's presence is not determined by how you feel. Perhaps we could say, anecdotally, it's determined by how God feels. Namely, his eternal, unshakable, and unbreakable love in Christ, who gives us his spirit forever to never leave us. His presence is not determined by how you feel, nor is what he is doing determined by how you feel or impressions you have. His presence is determined by justifying faith. So if you believe in Jesus, you have the fullness of the Spirit in the same measure that Christ did from his baptism on. And the main ministry of the Holy Spirit is to use, please listen, to draw to a close, The main ministry of the Holy Spirit is to use the Word of God to make famous the Son of God so that the people of God believe, rejoice, are helped, comforted, taught, persevere, especially in suffering, and that we each grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the main ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will tell us in a few chapters, is to convict the world of their sin, of Christ's righteousness and impending judgment. And the Holy Spirit does all of that convicting of the world through the Bible proclamation of the church. 
That's how he accomplishes that. You may have come in here questioning if you have the Spirit or a portion of the Spirit or if the Spirit left you and all of these things. But friends, what I want you to see, or maybe because you've, you've been in circles that unless you, unless you speak in tongues, you don't have the Spirit. It's nonsense. These ideas, friends, listen. The clear and quiet ministry of the Spirit, if you right now believe in Jesus, that is the greatest miracle in your life. And if you believe in Jesus, that is proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you still believe in Jesus? That's the proof of the Holy Spirit in your life. Have you, can you look back in your walk with Christ, identify various uh, valleys of the shadow of death that you walked through, that you went through suffering and trials, and you still clung to Jesus the whole time? That's proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you love Jesus' church? Have you grown in the knowledge and appreciation of the Bible? Have you rejoiced with others in the gospel? Have you shared the gospel? Have you been helped? Have you been comforted? Have you been encouraged by other believers? That, my friends, is all proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because that's the work of the paraclete. Is there growing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life? That is proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is the work of the paraclete. Friends, what I want you to hear from Jesus' words, is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit largely exists in the mundane. And the greatest miracle that the Holy Spirit has performed is to have you sitting here this morning, namely causing you to be born again. I don't want us to lose sight of the intimate relationship we have with the Spirit through all of these things, suffering and the fruit of the Spirit and more, all of this, reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, gathering as a church and more, that all tends to get sidelined, suppressed, and forgotten because we tend to only argue about where certain gifts are active today or whether the Spirit's speaking to you. And I want you to think well and wisely about the way Jesus teaches us to think about the Spirit, the quiet unending, indwelling, ever-present ministry of the Holy Spirit because God has not left you an orphan, but He's adopted you through the blood of Christ and you, my dear friends, should be deeply encouraged by that. You have the Spirit. Church, rejoice in the Spirit who magnifies Christ, is our daily help, and by whom the Father seals us as the guarantee of our inheritance for the day of redemption. Amen? Amen? Lord, we thank you for your word and your grace. We pray now that you would move in us by your spirit to sing your praises with great joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.